Bokotov, good morning everyone. Welcome to our Aliyah day. Glad to have everybody with me this morning. Hope everybody is doing well and feeling well and being well and having a uh, fantastic time. And we are here for the Aliyah day, Baruch Hashem. We are finishing up the Parasha Pinkas, which is going to be our uh, next to last Parasha before we get into the book of Devarim. So it's uh, good to have you with me this morning. The 6th and 7th Aliyah will be discussed today, be read and discussed. And we're going to find ourselves on page 893, if you have the art school Humash. Page 893, we are going to begin reading in verse 16 of the 28th chapter. Verse 16 to 28 chapter. About the, um, the offerings of Pesach. Pesach. And so let's read and we'll get right into our discussion. Welcome again. Glad you're here with me. And the first month on the 14th day of the month shall be a Pesach offering to Adonai. And on the 15th day of this month is a festival for a seven-day period of matzah shall be eaten. On the first day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work. You shall offer a fire offering, an elevation offering to Adonai, two young bulls, one ram, seven male lambs within the first year. Unblemished shall, shall they be for you. And their meal offering, fine flour mixed with oil, you shall make three-tenth ephah of each bull and a tenth ephah for the ram. One-tenth ephah shall you make for each lamb of seven, day, uh, seven lambs. <coughs> and one he-goat for a sin offering to atone for you. Aside from the elevation offering in the morning, that is, for the continual elevation offering, you shall make these. Like these shall you make each day for a seven-day period. Food, a fire offering, a satisfying aroma to Adonai, in addition to the continual elevation offering, shall be made with its libation. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall do no laborious work. On the day of the first fruits, this is Shavuos, Shavuot. On the day of the first fruits, when you uh, offer a new meal offering to Adonai on your festivals of weeks, it shall be a holy convocation to you. You shall not do any laborious work. You shall offer an elevation offering for a satisfying aroma to Adonai, two young bulls, one ram, seven lambs within their first year. And their meal offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenth ephah for each bull, two-tenth ephah for one ram, one-tenth ephah for each lamb for uh, the seven lambs. One male of the goats to atone for you. <clears throat> Aside from the continual elevation offering and its meal offering shall you offer them. Unblemished shall they be for you. And their libations, it says here. Now we switch to, uh, turn rather, to chapter 29. Verse 1, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, there should be a holy convocation for you. You shall do no laborious work. It shall be a day of shofar sounding for you. You shall make an elevation offering for a sasarama to Adonai, one young bull, one ram, seven lamb, male lambs in their first year, unblemished, and their meal offering, fine flour mixed with uh, oil. Three-tenth ephah for the bull, two-tenth ephah for the ram, and one-tenth ephah for each lamb of the seven lambs. One male of the goats for a sin offering to provide you atonement 
aside from the elevation offering and the new moon and its meal offering, the continual elevation offering and its meal offering, and their libations according to their law for satisfying aroma for a fire offering to Adonai. On the tenth day of the seventh month, there should be a holy convocation for you, and you shall afflict yourselves. You should not do any work. You shall offer an elevation offering to Adonai for a satisfying aroma. One young bull, one ram, seven male lambs in their first year, unblemished shall they be for you, and their meal offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenth ephah for the bull, two-tenth ephah for the, for the one ram, and one-tenth ephah for each lamb for seven lambs. One male of the goats for a sin offering aside from the sin offering of the atonement and the continual elevation offering and its meal offering and their libation. On the fifth day of the seventh month, 15th day, Slika, the 15th day of the seventh month, this is going to be Sukkot, there shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall do no laborious work. You shall celebrate a festival to Adonai for a seven-day period. You shall offer an elevation offering, a fire offering, a size from to Adonai, 13 young bulls, two rams, 14 male lambs in their first year, uh, shall be they, they shall be unblemished, verse 14. And their meal offering a fine flour mixed with oil, three eth, tenth ephah for each bull of the thirteenth uh, bulls, two tenth ephah for each ram of the two rams, and one tenth ephah for each lamb for the elevation off uh, for the fourteen lambs. One lamb, or one male rather, of the goats for a sin offering aside for the continual elevation offering with its meal offering and uh, libation. Verse 17. And on the second day, twelve young bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs within their first year unblemished, and their meal offering and their libation for the bulls, for the rams. And the lambs in their proper number are required. One male goat for a sin offering, aside from the continual elevation offering, its meal offering and their libations. Verse 20. And on the third day, eleven bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs with their first year unblemished, and their meal offering and their libation for the bulls. The rams and their lambs in the proper number are required. One he-goat for a sin offering, aside from the continual elevation offering, its meal offering, and its libation. Now we're going to notice here, just take a pause for a moment, that as we go along, the number of the bulls for the nations decreases while the number of the lambs uh, remain the same. An answer given here is that this, uh, many people say that this is because of the destruction of the nations. Little by little, the nations will come to naught, where, whereby uh, the nation of Israel remains constant. Remains constant. I would like to offer up another opinion, and that is it's not so much that the nations are being destroyed, but rather they're being grafted in, they're being converted. And therefore, their number is diminishing where the number of the lamb for Israel is remaining constant because Israel will always be Israel. Verse 23, And on the fourth day, the ten bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs within their first year unblemished, and their meal offering the libation for the bulls, the rams and the lambs and the proper numbers are required. One male of the goats for a sin offering aside from the continual elevation offering, its meal offering is libation. And on the fifth day, nine bulls, two rams, fourteen male lambs within their first year unblemished. And their meal offering, the libation for the bulls, the rams, and the lambs, and their proper number are required. One he goat for a sin offering aside from the continual elevation offering, its meal offering, and its libation. 
verse 29, and on the sixth day, eight bulls, two rams, 14 lambs, within their first year, unblemished, and their meal offering, the libation for the bulls, the rams, and the lambs, and their proper number as required, one he goat for sin offering, aside for continual elevation offering, its meal offering, and its libation. Verse 32, and on the seventh day, seven bulls, two rams, 14 lambs within their first year, unblemished, and their meal offering and their libation for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs of their proper number in their requirements. One he bull for sin offering aside from continual elevation offering, its meal offering and its libation. Verse 35, now we're talking about Shemaniah Zeret. The eighth day shall be a restriction for you. You shall not do any laborious work. You shall offer an elevation offering, a fire offering, a satisfying one without an eye, one bull, one ram, seven lambs within their first year, unblemished. Their meal offering, libation for the bull, the ram, the lamb shall be the proper number as required. One he goat for sin offering, aside for continuation offering, its meal offering and its libation. Verse 39. These are what you shall make for Adonai on your appointed festivals, aside from your vows and your free will offerings, for your elevation offerings, your meal offerings, your libations, and your peace offerings. Chapter 30, verse 1. Concludes our parasha. Moshe said to the children of Israel, according to everything that Adonai had commanded Moses. It's a very important statement because we were having our class uh, on Wednesday night for people to learn the basics of Judaism. One thing that I was sure to mention, and I always try to mention this, is that the law of Moses is in fact the word of God. And uh, a lot of people don't realize that because they hear law of Moses. They think, well, these there, were, there was a law that Moses gave, and then there was a law that God gave, and, and so the two are not the same, but in fact they are. As it says here, just in, in the plain Hebrew, Moshe. This, these are all the commandments that, that, that Moses said, rather. He did everything. He provided everything that God had commanded. Just a, just a very important point, and I think that as you're talking to people, you should, uh, I would encourage you not to take for granted that they know that, because a lot of people don't. So I want to share a couple of thoughts, uh, well, I have a lot, actually, <laughs> several thoughts today on the reading, but um, Hashem will be able to get to all of them, or hopefully most of them. First and foremost, something very interesting from the Baal Turim. We don't uh, always hear from Baal Turim, but today he, uh, he chimed in, he's joining us. He writes, the Balatorum writes, uh, to verse 30, when it's talking about Shavuot. It says, regarding the other holidays, the Torah uses the term le hatat for a sin offering, or hatak, hatat, slika, a sin offering. But this wording is not used with regard to Shavuot does not say there's no sin offering as described for the festival of Shavuot. Very interesting insight. The, the answer to why is even more interesting. It says because that day the Torah was given and it brings atonement for those who study it. To put this another way, the reason there is no sin offering on Shavuot, which is the holiday in which we receive the Torah, is because the Torah is our sin offering. 
which is why we have Messiah Yeshua being offered up. He is the living Torah, which means by if the Mashiach is the living Torah, that means he's divine, cannot be just a human, impossibility. Can't be just a human and be and be the manifestation of God's living Torah. And so the living Torah became our sin offering. Why? Because the Torah is our sin offering. As it's saying here, which is why on the holiday in which the giving of the Torah is celebrated, we don't have a sin offering. Why? We don't need one. Why? Because it's a Torah. Now, this reminded me of something else, because on Wednesday night, we were taking some folks on, on a little bit of a tour of the sanctuary, and I was explaining about the Bema. The Bema, the, the uh, pulpit and the ark, represent certain aspects of the... Uh, of the tabernacle, the, the the pulpit where prayer and words of Torah go forth represents the golden altar. The ark represents the holy of holies. What does the bima represent? According to Jewish thought, in a synagogue, the bima is the representat- representative of the outer altar, the copper altar, the bronze altar of the uh, of the tabernacle. And it just so happens, I'm sure it's just coincidence, wink, wink, tongue-in-cheek, of course, that that is where we lay the Torah to read it every Shabbat and on other days as well. That we lay the Torah on the outer altar, the altar upon which the offerings were offered up, the sin offerings, the Ola offerings, the Shalom offerings, We lay the Torah on the altar to read it. Why? Because the Torah is our ultimate offering. So another uh, statement here. We're going to talk today because I've got lots of interesting insights to share from the the Kehol Tumash. But I want to share this from Baal Turim since he's in studio today. It says, with regard to Rosh Hashanah, our verse says, "Naasitem ola lereach neach laAdonai." You shall make a burnt offering for a satisfying aroma to Adonai. That's the burnt offering, ola ne lereach nichoach, a burnt offering for the satisfying aroma to Adonai. It says this indicates that God says, "Asul tesuva." Make penance, make repentance, make juva. Why? If you do on Rosh Hashanah, I will consider it as if you brought all the offerings. As the Peskita expounds on this, this phrase, it's a unique phrase, by the way. This phrase is only used with respect to Rosh Hashanah. That's what the commentators point out. And as a result, they see Rosh Hashanah as a unique uh, holiday. A unique holiday that in which we, when we make tshuva on Rosh Hashanah, God reckons it as if we had brought every single offering to the uh, tabernacle. So as it says here, the, the Peskita, or, or Pesikta Sklika, expounds on this phrase that one who repents sincerely is considered a new creation. Something else I mentioned the other night was that the, 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 the phrase new creation or born again 
newborn babes. Those are all phrases from Judaism. And when we confess to God and he removes our sins, it is as if we've become, not, not, not let, me, let me rephrase that, uh, pardon me. It's not as if, it is that we have become a new creation. We've become like a newborn baby. There's no sin in us. Why? Because we've confessed. And when we confess, it's as if we've offered up all the offerings. Why? Because all the offerings are in the Torah, and the Torah is our offering. All the offerings point to the Torah. Right? And if Messiah Yeshua was the Torah and became our offering for us, then therefore all the offerings ultimately point to Him. Which is why we can have offerings in the future because the offerings are only symbolic. They're not the substance. This is why the writer of Hebrews said that the offering of bulls cannot take away sin. They were never intended to take away our sin. They were supposed to be representative. They're supposed to point back to the offering which would take away our sin. This is why on Rosh Hashanah, we sound the shofar. Why? To point God back to the ram that was caught in the thicket for us. We say the binding of Isaac, but in reality we mean the ram. Why do we say Isaac when we mean the ram? Because, because Isaac was willing to lay down his life, it was as if he was the ram. So in reality, Judaism says that we are crazy because we believe that God offered up a human sacrifice in order for our forgiveness. But in reality, all Jews, including us, go to Rosh Hashanah and ask God to look at a human sacrifice for our forgiveness. Did you just hear what I said? If you're driving, pull over. I'm just kidding. We're not allowed to believe in a human sacrifice, and yet every Rosh Hashanah, every Jew all over the world asks God to look at a human sacrifice. Let me just say that a third time, because somebody wasn't paying attention. Judaism allegedly teaches they're not allowed to believe that God would bring a human, quote-unquote, and bring about, a human, bring about an atonement. And yet, on every single Rosh Hashanah, when we pray, we blow the shofar out, we ask God, please, please look at Isaac, not me. And you say, well, Isaac wasn't really offered. That's not what the Judaism teaches. Judaism teaches that he was, in fact, offered. There's no difference between him not literally being offered and the fact that he laid down and was considered as offered. This is why it says that when we came back to Yerushalayim to build the second temple, we were trying to figure out where the altar was, and God showed it to us why and how. Because... We were able to find the ashes of Isaac, not the ram, Isaac. Anyway, I want to share something from the Gutna Kumash. If everybody's still alive, y'all still alive out there? All right, good. This is uh, something about our unique mission. I just like this insight. It's a little off topic of the festivals, but I, I had a tag on here to say it, or to read it rather. And I haven't gotten to it yet, so let me read it. Because this is so true about every single person out there. 
<sighs> wow. It says, while Jewish law, while Jewish law obligates each person to observe all the mitzvot, there is always at least one particular mitzvah to which one's soul is drawn more strongly. I know as soon as I read that, by the way, this comes from the Talmud, Shabbos 118b. As soon as I said that, all of you said, yep, 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 yep. Everybody has one mitzvah, at least one, that is really, really special to you. May not be special to everybody. Special to you. It says, accordingly, or excuse me, according to Hasidic thought, this concept is hinted to by the fact that the land was apportioned by means of a lottery, suggesting that one's primary mission in life, one's spiritual inheritance, has been pre-allotted to him from on high and that one has no choice in the matter. So, the reason why a person's soul has a particular affinity to its special mitzvah is because each soul is a spark of the general soul which Adam possessed and corresponding to its original location within Adam's soul. Another teaching of Judaism, by the way, just as an aside, is that the Mashiach has within him all, originally, all the souls that would ever have existed. And thereby, when he is collecting holy sparks, he's collecting the souls back into himself. Which is another reason why the Mashiach can't be just a human. If he's just a human being, all that would just be nonsense. Because a human being doesn't have that capability. I don't have all the souls, of, and neither do you. We don't have all the souls of all creation within us. But I digress. It says, it will have a distinct spiritual path on its own. Consequently, through observing his special, this or his special mitzvah, the person will become spiritually fulfilled, which will give him additional enthusiasm in the observance of all the other mitzvot too. This reminds me of when I was a young boy. I was really, really into action figures. I had action figures... Of I just was really into it, right? I, and a lot, a lot of you young, young, you, you men, don't pretend, don't look away and pretend like I'm not talking to you. We're all into that, right? Or not everybody, but a lot of us were. I had Star Wars action figures. I had He-Man action figures. How many of you remember He-Man? Don't raise your hand. And uh, various things. But probably the one that I was most into of all was G.I. Joe. And, uh, oh, man, and every time I went to, like, Toys R Us or those places, I would just freak out and would look at all the action figures. And I, I remember, you know how as a child you have those memories that are kind of spotty and vague or whatever. I remember one time my mother had taken me somewhere. I, I'm assuming it was a toy store of some kind. And she had told me, go and pick out an action figure. So I'm standing there and staring at all the G.I. Joe action figures, and I was just perplexed. I wanted so many. I didn't know which one to pick. I was just forlorn. And my mother was a very generous person. She said, you know what? Pick out two. Oh, man. Anyway, but the thing about G.I. Joe action figures are so cool was that every guy seemingly had a specialty. There was something that he did that was unique to him. And that's how it is in the kingdom of Shemayim. That we 
have a mitzvah that we really, really like, we really, really are into, and it's unique to us. You see this all the time when you're studying Jewish literature, like the Baal HaTorim was really in the Gematria. You have other, you have a Hafez Haim who was unique to Lashon Hora. We have uh, other writers who are, they had something that they really latched onto and put together like a human body. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It all brings us more clarity into the kingdom of God. And this is how you and I are. There is a special mitzvah. So it says, how can a person discover what a special mitzvah is? In case you don't know. There is no simple solution, it says here. However, being that a person's mission in life is centered around his special mitzvah, it follows that his evil inclination will oppose this mitzvah strongly. So one of the ways to find your special mitzvah may be the one that you have a hard time fulfilling. That's a, that's a possibility as well. There's another insight here. I won't read it for the sake of time because I want to get over here to the Kehot Tumash. But it just talks about this the um, about our corporate mission is to elevate all of creation. I wish I had time to get into that, but. Uh, just know know that, believe that, and trust that, to quote Mikael, that our corporate mission, we all have a unique mission. We are, we are all those G.I. Joe action figures. I happen to be gung-ho. If you uh, are familiar with G.I. Joe action figures, you'll know who gung-ho is. If you don't, that's fine. But anyway, um, we all have our special mission, but together we fight Cobra. Which is interesting because the enemy in G.I. Joe was Cobra, and our enemy is a serpent. I know, I know. I'm getting carried away. But it's true, isn't it? Kind of fits. The analogy fits, doesn't it? All right. Kehol Tumash. I want to share a couple of insights here because it's very, very powerful stuff in the few minutes we have re- remaining. What do I have here? What is this? Oh, okay. This is about Rosh Hashanah. And man, this is so good. Um, let me turn over here. All right. It's talking about a day of shofar blowing. This is just really, really wonderful insight. Just get situated here so I make sure I get everything in. So it says here, the Baal Shem Tov, who did not have smika, didn't go to school anywhere, started an entire movement which changed the world. The Baal Shem Tov gave the following analogy to illustrate the effect of blowing the shofar. Once there was a king who had an only son. The son was well-learned. And his father loved them very much. One day the king and the prince decided that it would be educational for the prince to travel faraway lands and learn wisdom and ways of the people who lived out there. So the king gave the prince an entourage of ministers and servants and a lot of money and all kind of stuff and sent him on his way. But as the journey wore on, the prince spent all the money on his luxuries. He, he was used to living. He was uh, high maintenance. And eventually he was left with nothing. And he arrived in a place so far from home that no one there even knew who the father was. Distraught, the prince decided it was time to go home. But he had been away for so long, it says, that he had forgotten even how to speak his native tongue. So when he finally made it back to the capital city of his kingdom, he could not explain to anyone who he was or where he needed to go. He tried to gesture to them that he was the prince But, of course, no one paid attention to him. No one understood what he was trying to say. Finally, when he was near enough to the palace so the king could hear him, he let loose a wordless cry, a scream. 
So his father would recognize his voice. This goes back to the fact that the word teruah in uh, like yom teruah, the word teruah for shofar blast or means to cry out, to holler out, to scream out. So it says the king did indeed recognize his son's voice and sent for him and they were reunited. As it says, so too the Jewish soul is God's child. This child was sent into the foreign environment and God is waiting for us to cry out. This reminds me of what the Messiah said when he says, my sheep hear my voice. The voice of the shofar, we say, represents God's voice. But what we don't realize sometimes is it also represents our voice. And the reason that the sheep will know my voice, Mashiach said, is because our voice is his voice and vice versa. In other words, they should be similar similar voices. Now, I also want to point out here because it says a Jewish soul is God's child. I was watching a video the other day, and it was an anti-missionary who was talking to someone who obviously was a believer. And the anti-missionary was, uh, had the believer cornered. And he said that, um, who was who God's son? Of course, it's kind of a trick question. The person didn't quite know how to respond. And he said, we're, and the, the anti-missionary was said, we're all sons of God. Who is God to you? And the person said, well, the, the father. Okay, well, then we're all sons of God. Obviously, he was trying to say, that uh, the Messiah couldn't be the quote-unquote son of God because we're all God's sons, so therefore he was trying to say that the, what the Messiah said was nonsense. It's just, you know, we're not, he wasn't the son of God. We're all sons of God. And, of course, I could see the confusion on the p- person's face he was talking to. It was very, very sad. He, he didn't know how to answer, and, and, and uh, I, I pray that it didn't shake his faith. I want to point something out. Psalm 2 and verse 7 says, I will tell it a decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. This day I've begotten you. Now, it's very important you should know this. Then when Yeshua talks about being the son of God, or when, or when the, the New Testament letters refer to him as the son of God, it's not talking about his little baby boy. It's talking about the king of Israel. Son of God is, yes, we're all sons of God, but I'm not the king of Israel. Yes, we're all sons of God, but we're not Mashiachim. Yes, we're all sons of God, but we're not going to sit on David's throne for all eternity. A son of God, in the Jewish point of view, is a king of Israel. could be that this guy, who was the anti-missionary, may not, may not realize that. It's very possible. He just doesn't know. But let me read to you from Ma'am Loez's commentary on this verse. Just a few highlighted points here. This is from Ma'am Loez's volume on Tehillim, chapter 2, verse 7. That God said to me, you are my son, that means your kingship comes from me and no man may challenge it. That he said to me, this day I begotten you, on that day that you are anointed, I took you as my son. That is to say, I have provided me a king. On the very day that David was anointed, a divine spirit was born within him, as it says, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Didn't the divine Spirit fall upon Mashiach when he was anointed at the River Jordan? Why was he anointed at the River Jordan? Well, the, one of the reasons was because he needed to receive the kingship from Yochanan, but the other reason was is because it was customary that kings would always be taken to a river and anointed. 
says, but David was humble in his own eyes. He did not see himself as worthy of kingship. He became king not by his own initiative, but because it says, the Lord said to me, you are my son, this day I've begotten you. And finally, it says, according to the interpretation that this psalm refers to the Messianic age, the singer says, I will tell of the decree, I will speak of it, the common manner of one who says, you are my son, this day I've begotten you. It is as if on this day I granted you your present existence. Why? Because the Talmud says, when God saw the Messiah of the house of David, he said to him, ask what you want and I will grant it. But the Messiah had seen the Messiah's son of Joseph killed, and he said, master of the world, I ask only for life. So when it talks about the Son of God, it's talking about the King of Israel, not not uh, not children. All right, I got to hurry. I'm already over my time, but I, can I share two more things? Thank you. Why are so many people moved by the shofar? People who don't even know what the shofar is don't even understand it. They 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 don't know much about Judaism at all. But when they hear the shofar blast, something happens to them. Why? This is the answer. But at some point, it remembers who it is, that is the soul of man, and cries out to God. This is the wordless blast of the shofar, which utters the innermost voice of the soul. In its regret for its past deeds, its longing for its divine home, and its desire to rededicate itself to the Father. The reason the voice of the shofar is so moving to so many people who don't even have a clue what it is, they hear it for the first time, and in some cases, I've seen it many, many times over my lifetime, tears, even tears run, roll down their cheeks, and they don't even know what, what happened. It's a weird instrument, looks kind of strange. Sometimes it has a beautiful sound, sometimes it doesn't, depends. So why am I so moved? The answer is very simple. Your soul knows that voice. And that voice is the voice that you know from the Father, from Ghana Din. And your brain doesn't get it. But your soul knows, that's my cry to come home. And that's the power of the shofar. I think I might uh, conclude here. I might come back here in a few minutes and actually do a supplemental because I do want to share one parable. Just take me a few minutes. But we're over our time, and I want to be respectful of your time. So have a prep day, a fantastic prep day. I, I said that backwards. I was talking like Yoda. Have a fantastic prep day. Uh, have a fantastic Shabbat. With God's help, we will see everybody in the synagogue tomorrow. And um, see everybody on Ron, uh, uh, Yom Rishon for the... The uh, next parasha. So blessings. Have a wonderful day. Have a great Shabbat. We will see everybody tomorrow. Shabbat Shalom.